This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide. Welcome to this week, Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we've got Duncan. Duncan, if you just want to come in and introduce yourself. Yes, I'm Duncan Aspin. I, uh, I'm a head of health, safety, environment, quality and sustainability and business continuity, as a matter of fact, for a construction and uh, civil engineering and marine organisation. I am massively passionate about behaviour change. I am a behaviour change ambassador for the University of Derby and uh, also, until recently, of course, with the COVID-19 thing, I've been doing a lot of uh, going around the UK and the rest of Europe, actually promoting the behaviour change as part of being an ambassador. And I also act as a uh, MC come facilitator for the She Show, which some of you may have attended, uh, both in Manchester and Newcastle. Brilliant. Thank you, Duncan. So I don't know if you've seen the format of the podcast. We'd like to just go right back to the beginning. Tell us a bit about your early life, where you grew up. Okay, well, how far back do you want to go? I, I, interesting fact, actually, is uh, I was actually born um, in a place called, well, Roundtown Road in Gloddick in Oldham. Uh, and um, I, so I was actually born at home. So that's, isn't that going far back? Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I was actually delivered by uh, Dr. Patrick Steptoe, who uh, was the, um, the pioneer with the test tube baby, because uh, my mother was a nurse and, and worked for him and, uh, and he delivered me. So uh, a very minor claim to fame there, potentially. Um, so, so yeah, I, I was uh, brought up in, in Oldham and um, my father actually owned, a, well, he, he was a joiner and he then uh, started running his own construction company and developed into a quite a successful uh, company, really. So I, I probably spent a lot of my early life uh, spending, laboring on construction sites. Uh, so I was working on construction sites way before you're supposed to do. So uh, probably from about the age of 10 onwards. And um, I learned very early on that uh, when, when your father's throwing bricks to you in, in packs of four, um, you don't drop them. Um, so, so that was one of my first skills I learned to, to catch four bricks at a time as they were being thrown to me and pack them in good stacks. Um, and, and other things, I, uh, I, I started to driving things like six-ton dumpers way before I should have done as well and bouncing around on those metal seats. And, um, I, and I fell off my first scaffold whilst erecting it at the age of 13. Um, so really good introduction into safety, really, in, term, in terms of my experiences. And I probably had uh, quite a lot of experiences that uh, I, I think my father tried to kill me on a regular basis on construction sites, really. Um, if you look at um, those YouTube videos that we all love to look at and, and, and see how ridiculous people are behaving, uh, I think I've done most of them. Um, so um, I, I think that it was interesting, though, that in laboring on construction sites uh, through, through my early life, uh, it gave me really, really deep respect for the people who work on construction sites because it can be a very tough environment. You know, you're working in uh, very difficult circumstances, sometimes very uh, cold circumstances or very hot, and the conditions are not always great. Uh, and, and I really got a massively deep respect for the people that, that uh, did that work. And, and that's a respect that I've, I've kept with me 
through throughout my whole career really for, for from that moment on mm-hmm. um so yeah i, I guess that's my early life uh, brought up in oldham eventually moved out of oldham like most people do um uh, and and uh, broke out went and lived uh, uh, in the southeast for quite a while um uh, before moving back to the northwest which is where i live now mm-hmm. okay Thanks, Duncan. So if you move on to tell us about your first kind of job after you left education then. Well, I guess, I guess it follows on to some extent from being a, a, a labourer on, on construction sites. Uh, I guess I was always going to end up in construction. Um, and therefore, I did go into university uh, to, to study construction. Uh, a friend of mine says he, he didn't believe you could have a degree in bricklaying, but... Um, you know, um, I, I, I went into, I went to Coventry Polytechnic as it was then, or Lanchester University, as I like to call it now. Uh, so I went to Coventry Polytechnic to, um, to really understand the, the management side of construction. And the reason I did that really was uh, with my father's construction company that was being reasonably successful. He wanted somebody with, with a bit more uh, of the business mind uh, to, to help operate the business. Unfortunately, that was in the early 1980s, which uh, some people may remember there was uh, somewhat of a recession on the time. And, uh, and during that period, whilst I was at university, my father's construction company uh, went into liquidation. So, um, so I ended up working for major civil engineering companies. So I guess my, my first job, I actually started out uh, in a design and build company in Maidenhead, uh, working as a, an assistant project manager. And, and I guess it was then that I probably realized I was, I was quite strong-minded because it was my first job in construction uh, on the management side of things. Uh, and very quickly, I, I, um, I went to the director of the business and said, uh, I don't want to be an assistant project manager because I don't like somebody else checking on my work and, and uh, I want to do my own thing. So he gave me my own jobs, which was great. <laughs> um, um, but uh, again, it was the experience of the, of the 80s that that company actually uh, went, went, went under. In fact, we, it was interesting. Uh, we actually got a Tannoy message because that's the way they used to do things in those days. We got a Tannoy message on our phone saying uh, the construction the, 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 uh, the construction company is going under. Uh, you've got two hours to clear your desk and get out of the offices, and, and that was that was the notice we got for that. And, and, and there was uh, there was security guards uh, waiting on the gates as well to make sure that none of us, none of us took any equipment away. So I got I got a fairly early baptism into into the cyclical approach that you can have in construction uh, with regards to the boom times and the and the bus times as well. Uh, but really, from there, I uh, I would say my first proper job in construction was working uh, as an engineer on on a uh, on a I think it was it was probably a 60 million pound job at the time, which would probably equate to a couple of hundred million at least now. Mm-hmm. Uh, working on a uh, on a on Bista Prison actually uh, in in um, near Banbury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot about for, uh, I learned a lot about construction then because uh, interestingly, my job as an engineer was called the secure routes, uh, and that was to connect 26 buildings together with all the secure routes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I learned about that is when you've got 26 buildings with 26 different engineers, and they don't work to the same uh, the same controls, yeah. connecting those buildings up is really really difficult. <laughs> it really is. Um, so yeah, I, I guess my, my my first real job in construction, as far as I'm concerned, was working as a as a trainee engineer and then an engineer. 
but I, I, I then continued really through the engineering route and, that, and that's my background really it's civil engineering background uh, most of my operational career career was in civil engineering um, and I started out training engineer worked up to a site engineer and then a section engineer sub agent and then a site a site agent or site manager as they more commonly called now uh, and um, I spent quite a few years as a site manager before uh, before moving across to health and safety and it's interesting really you know because if I go back to, to kind of my upbringing which was uh, on construction sites laboring on construction sites and as I mentioned I, I really developed a real deep respect for people who, who work on construction sites but I had a massive passion for for thinking that you know, challenging the general thought that that construction sites were okay to be untidy, they were okay for it to be bad conditions. You'd go in the welfare if you were lucky to have any welfare in the 80s. And, um, and it'd be atrocious. I remember working on a construction site with 200 people and one toilet, you know. Um, and, and I didn't accept that those conditions were right. And, and I had a massive passion for wanting, actually, for conditions to be at least as good as it would be if you work in a factory or an office, because why shouldn't they be? It's a really difficult condition that people need to, that, that working on construction. So we should expect the best, you know? So, and I took that passion really to my work as a site manager. And I always made sure a number of things really. I made sure that my sites were, had really good welfare mm -hmm. and really good access on site and really good, you know, really good safety. And, uh, and I also, uh, I also, whenever I was planning work, I always involved the people who were going to do the work in actually doing the planning. I mean, there's still a, a big uh, trend these days of people writing methods of work, say systems of work, method statements, risk assessments, who are not the people doing the work, and then hand it over to the people who are going to do the work. And, and, and that's never felt right for me. And, yeah. I mean, the reason really that I spoke to people who were going to do the work when I was planning it is because they knew how to do it and I didn't. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what I found very, very quickly was that by including people in planning the work, including people in figuring out how we were going to do it, in, by having good standards on site, being passionate about wanting the best for people, that people actually enjoyed coming to work. They had a real passion and pride for what they were doing. And I actually found that my jobs were very profitable for it uh, you know, and, and I think this is one thing uh, a term that I, I I'm not a fan of and I hear it a number of times is when people talk about safety at any cost uh, and I genuinely don't believe in that I, I turn that on its head uh, I, I believe if you do safety right you'll make a better you'll make a better profit you know you'll have a more efficient site you'll you'll plan things better and you'll you will make more margin mm -hmm. definitely definitely um, you hear that in organisations a lot, don't you? That they say safety is our number one priority. And you say, well, what about making a profit? Yeah. You can turn the lights out. If you don't make money, we're not going to have a business, you know? And that's that's the harsh reality of it. Yep, it's up there. It's one of your top key priorities in the organisation. But ultimately, keeping the organisation running and turning a profit and making sure the business is profitable is the ultimate goal for any organisation. 
Well, it's a, it's a good point, and I think you know organisations have to be sincere and truthful. Uh, and it's a very laudable thing to say that safety is a, is a is a number one priority. But you're absolutely right; it isn't profit is because without profit, you, you you're not in business. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Uh, but uh, you achieve, or you 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 help to achieve a good profit by by doing the job safely, by doing it to a good quality. You know, the, the, these things are absolutely linked. In fact, I've always come across uh, in the way I sell safety, if, if, you, if I want to call it selling, uh, you know, when I'm dealing with uh, managing directors and senior managers of, of organizations. Uh, you, you know, you'll do, you'll do your NEBOSH certificate uh, early on in your career. Uh, and uh, you talk about three three headings, and I hope I can remember them now. Uh, so you've got financial, moral, and uh, legal. There we are, I did remember. And, um, and, and that's all well and good and, and true. Uh, however, I find that if you, if you really want to get the buy-in from, from business leaders, then you have to talk their language. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always sold safety from a profitability point of view, that if yeah. you do safety well, we, we will have a better business. Yeah. Uh, and I've found that that way, that by talking the same language, that you, um, you, you can get people on board much better. And it's one of the things I would actually recommend, to be honest with you, of, of any safety professional that uh, talk the business language, understand business language and talk business language. Yeah, that's great advice, Duncan. I think being able to go in and have an understanding of how the processes in an organisation work outside of your little sphere of safety as well, being able to understand profit and loss and what all of the other meetings are and getting a little bit of interaction and understanding how they work and how they integrate into the business, the pressures that the project management team are faced, stands you in good stead to understand the business operation and the pressures that they are faced with when you go and try and ask them to do something. So I think that's fantastic advice for people and I think people take a lot away from that. Well, it's interesting as well. If you if you if you're a safety professional that's got aspirations to get to the very top, and become a health and safety director, then you'll be sitting in board meetings where only part of what you talk about is health and safety, and you're expected to contribute to every part of that business in terms of profitability, in terms of HR, in terms of planning, commercial finance. Uh, and you are expected to be an equal partner in, talk, in having those conversations. So it's absolutely essential to, to understand that side of the business as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. So can you tell us a little about, you moved into health and safety from being a project manager. Can you tell us a bit about your first safety job? Where was that? Yeah, it's interesting because I was very keen to get into health and safety. What, what, and, and, and I'll just go a little bit more into from being a site manager to, to moving over to health and safety. Yeah. Be, because what I, what I did find, as I said before, is I, I found that my jobs were running very well by taking the approach that I did. And I could just go from job to job doing that and making sure my jobs were as good as it could be. But I, I, I felt that there was something I could do here that I had a real skill for, for, for getting the best out of people and, and actually, you know, achieving the best in on a job. And I thought, well, why don't I do this as my career? So I wanted to move over to health and safety. So I, uh, I went and did my NEBOSH certificate at night school and, um, and, and passed first time, thankfully, because it's not the easiest thing in the world. And... Uh, and then from there, I, I, I looked for opportunities uh, to get a position. And thankfully, I got a position in the same company I was still working for. But I had to, uh, I had to um, travel quite a bit. So I, I lived in the northwest and I worked in, in Birmingham and south of Birmingham. So uh, interestingly enough, my, 
my journey to work every morning, and this is genuine, was two to three hours and two to three hours home every night. Uh, um, but I wanted to be in health and safety. And uh, it was interesting because I did an awful lot of traveling in those days. And it was a little bit frustrating, my first job in a way, because um, I was responsible for kind of like uh, the, the minor side of the, uh, the rail construction. So mm -hmm. I, I'd travel for five hours to go and see two guys under a, under a railway bridge pointing brickwork. You know, and <laughs> and uh, it was a little bit soul destroying from that point of view. But uh, it gave me the opening uh, and the opportunity to to get into health and safety, which really then took me on to my my my, uh, my first real safety job, as far as I'm concerned, which was uh, working for um, the same company again. It was actually Burst Construction, uh, who who unfortunately don't exist anymore, but a great company. Uh, and I and I worked as a, a health and safety manager, firstly for um, for, for for Northwest, and, and then I worked as the head of health and safety for Burst Coastal. And, and what that gave me for the first time is the opportunity to get all my passions and all my beliefs in the way that we should manage health and safety, and actually put them into practice. And, and some of the things that were uh, absolutely key to me. Uh, so one of the first things I did, I could not stand. Good. Well, I, I had a rule of thumb that I had for myself was. Um, a job had to be, I had to be able to go to a job and be proud to take anybody else to that job. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my, my benchmark. Yeah. Uh, and I was a little bit disappointed at first in some of the standards that I was seeing. Uh, and, and really simple things, you know, that might not seem to make a difference at first. Uh, I hated seeing uh, lots of paper pinned to, to, pinned to notice boards, just get all, all random and all over the place. So one of the first things I did was got, get proper notice boards uh, and get them properly designed with, with, with the business logo on it. And you'll see that all over the place now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I also uh, designed a standard setup for all the sites. So if you ever went to any of our sites anywhere in the country, they all look the same. Yeah. And so, and I built safety into that. So as you entered the site, you, you had a proper segregated route. You had proper signage that looked right. Uh, you weren't allowed to have Harris panels as gates, <laughs> you know, which were always then falling over and breaking. You had to have proper gates in place. You had to have proper segregated route to, to your office. Even insisted on every office setup, no matter how large or small, had a reception. Because another thing that really uh, kind of like irritated me was walking into construction sites where you just walked into a side door straight into a load of offices. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reception was your first opportunity for people to see, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of like the image of the construction of your company. Also insisted on proper car parking places and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I standardized that across the company. But I also standardized things like the filing system, you know, because yeah. uh, I... I, I Again, I, I didn't like just going in and seeing just random ways of doing things. So standardize the filing system, which had the benefit that when you went onto our sites, anywhere you went, anybody could pick up from a job that somebody else was doing and start and, and know exactly what they were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I later found out that it was all called McDonaldization. Uh, so that, that's creating a standard approach, which, which McDonald's do, of course, and yeah. a lot of other companies do, creating a standard approach. But what it was really doing, I, I, my initial passion was really to give people the proper standards. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, as you walk through the door or walk through the gate of the site, you knew that we meant business. Mm -hmm. Be because early on, one of the challenges that I often used to get was, well, it's okay, Duncan. We're, we're, we're doing pretty well with health and safety on this site. Uh, but we'll get another subcontractor in next week who will have worked on a site where they don't take safety as seriously and we'll be starting all afresh again. And, and I didn't really accept that. 
Uh, and I thought that uh, and had a genuine belief that if you set up your site right from the start, if that first impression uh, really made, a, made a, a, an impact on people, then you could change people's uh, perceptions and behaviours right from the start. Uh, and, uh, and I found that, that that did work. And interestingly enough, uh, we, uh, by put, I put a five-year plan in uh, for how we were going to develop health and safety. And I think that's another thing to, be, to, to really uh, consider for any health and safety professional, by the way. Uh, always make sure you, just like any other part of the business, uh, where you'll have a business plan for what you're doing, have a business plan for health and safety. Yes. So, so I developed a five-year strategy, and then I, built, I broke that down into annual business plans. And, and, uh, and therefore, it wasn't a new plan each year. It was building on, on where we were trying to get to with the five-year strategy. And we had four years without a single accident, you know, in a, in a pretty large national construction company. Mm -hmm. And I think some has got, that's got to come from, um, from, from the work that we did in improving the site standards and, uh, and uh, getting that first impression right. Now, I'll never be one that says you measure, you measure safety by, by the lack of accidents. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, four years of, of continual improvement. And, and also, our supply chain really getting on board. I, I got to the stage where I had uh, subcontractors ringing me up and saying, Duncan, can you come down to the site? Have a look what we've done here. We, we've, just, we've just come up with this new way of doing this, and we'd like to see what you've done, what we've done. And I think this is the really important thing in managing health and safety. It, it's taking this po positive approach is, is absolutely essential. Uh, and I think by recognizing the positive things that people are doing, you, 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 you absolutely get discretionary effort. Uh, and what I was finding uh, more and more is, I say supply chain members phoning me up and saying, we've done this, come and have a look. Uh, and also sites ringing me up when they, when they had problems saying, can you help us out with this? And what do you think? because we had that open and trusting approach. Yep. And I think trust is essential. Trust is absolutely essential. And the saying goes something like, uh, it, takes, uh, it takes a lifetime to build trust and a minute to destroy it. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so I do spend a lot of time still now building up, uh, building up trust. So uh, I, I, as I said right at the beginning, I'm, I'm passionate about behavior change. And for me, behavior change is, is about having a positive approach about genuinely including the people that are doing the work and about having a solution stroke future focused view on things rather than looking back on things. Mm -hmm. and, um, and time and time again, I see that by taking a positive approach, uh, it doesn't mean that you don't identify things that need improving. Of course you do, but you do that in a positive way as well. And, and I see time and time again where I see sites improving, I see supply chain improving uh, because the passionate uh, and they build the build from your passion on wanting to do a better job. Uh, mm -hmm. I, in fact, I, um, during the COVID-19, which was still in, of course, uh, I, I took over a few, so I went back to um, doing a, a safety advisor job on a few jobs, which I found uh, quite, quite uh, nice, to be honest with you. Um, uh, moving away from all the politics for a little while. And, um, and I, I took the same approach, a positive approach. And I found even within just a few weeks, the improvements were massive. And I, I, I remember one of the sites bringing me up and saying, can you have a look at what we've done with this segregation? Come and have a look, it's brilliant. And, and it was. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, you see, if I went on a site and said, I want you to segregate this route, then that's probably, if at best, that's what I get. But by getting the passion from people to want to make their own decisions on things, yeah. then you actually get people to go a lot further than you would probably anticipate that they would do. Mm -hmm. 
So I think your question was somewhere around what what was my first job. I think out of all of that, <laughs> but, but I progressed a little bit from that because my my learning through all of my jobs, uh, through all of the all the jobs that I've done, is uh, it's all about people. Mm-hmm. It, it's about nothing else other than people. We can't do the job without people, and uh, and and the, the old adages that ring true. You know, treat people like you'd like to be treated yourself. Yeah. Uh, treat people with respect, you know, uh, and and um, have a genuine respect. You know, people see through you if you're not genuine. Yeah. So have a genuine respect for 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 caring about people. And by the way, in in the health and safety profession, you've got to care and you've got to have passion. Because if you if you if you don't have, then then you're in the wrong job. Uh, because there are t- hard times in health and safety where there are struggles and times when you don't think you're making a difference. And it's those times when you really need that passion, you really need that energy, and you really need that caring for other people. That that is absolutely genuine. But cool. but equally, if you are genuine, people see that. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that one hundred percent. Some of the best results that I've had out engaging with people is when you go with that positive approach and you see mm-hmm. them doing a great job there. Have you considered this? It goes back to the old dad. If you go out, stop, stop, stop. You're doing that wrong. It already creates that conflict there right away. If you go out and you say, no, we're doing a great job there, let's have a look at doing it this way, can we have a little chat about it? You're going to get their buy-in right away because you've disarmed them. They're expecting you to come with that conflict because of the, the preconceived insert name of national newspapers, ideals of the old elfin safety type of approach. <laughs> yes, and elfin safety, as Terry Wogan used to call it, elfin safety. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely true that, that taking that positive approach makes a huge difference. I, I can give so many examples, but I remember, I remember once going to a site and, um, and they had some real problems with congestion on the site. Uh, and I could see straight away that they, they, they needed access to this cofferdam, uh, but they had plant operations going on around the place. And, and it was quite frankly dangerous in terms of how they were getting access to that. Uh, and and uh, you know the, the the approach would be uh, could be that's dangerous. You need to stop what you're doing there. Get some segregation in place. But um, but instead, uh, I asked. I said, "What do you what do you think about the access here?" Well, we think that we we do have a bit of a problem that we've been trying to get over, and um, where we where we, we we need to do this job here, but we need to get access in there. Well, what do you think, Doug? And I said, "Well, uh, tell me what your thoughts are." And we talked about it for a while. And uh, we came up with some uh, ideas. And then when I went back a week later, they said, Duncan, come and have a look. And they'd actually change the whole site layout. They'd even move cabins that they'd set out. Now, that would never have happened if it wasn't their idea in the first place. You know? mm-hmm. And one of the things I often say, actually, because it often, often happens when I'm speaking to, to uh, site managers, particularly in foremen, uh, where they say, hey, Duncan, we keep telling them what to, what to do, but it's just not happening. You know, and, and I, I, I say, well, how, how often are you going to tell them before you realize that telling isn't going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. Have you tried asking? Yeah. You know, and, and it's amazing. Again, another, another example is, and it's a really simple example, uh, where I was on a site where it was a very large site over many miles. And, uh, and the foreman was saying, we're having a real problem with guys leaving the gates open into landowners and farmers areas. And, and I keep telling the guys that they need to close the gates, but they're just not doing it. And, um, and I, I said, well, have you asked them? I, and we did, we asked them and it was really simple because they said, well, the problem is when we're exiting the, the, the fields and, and, the, and the areas of land, 
we're straight onto the main road and we can't really stop our tractors on the main road. So we just drive away. And all they had to do was set the gates back a little bit further so they could stop whilst they were still off the road and it was all sorted. The solutions come from asking, not from telling. Yeah, yeah. And as John Green said when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, it's all about asking better questions, isn't it? Ask it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's absolutely perfect. I mean, John's fantastic at this stuff, isn't he? And he, he absolutely lives the positive approach to this thing. And, and I'm going to steal that. I like that. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It was, yeah. uh, it was the nugget that I took away from the podcast, getting to interview someone so prominent and coming up with that. It's all about asking better questions. I just thought you've hit the nail on the head there. Let me just write that down. Asking better <laughs> questions. That, that's fantastic. I mean, John, John's done a great job, hasn't he? I mean, he, 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 he definitely sells the, uh, the safety differently approach. Uh, and I know some people criticise the safety differently, uh, but, but I don't see why, because uh, it's all about taking a positive approach. It's all about learning from what we do well rather than what we, what we fail at. Uh, and, and, and how can you criticise that? It, it's got to be the right approach. You've opened up that can now, Duncan, so we're going to have to talk about that. So <laughs> in the past few weeks, I've seen some real blazing arguments on LinkedIn about safety differently versus, oh, it's not peer-reviewed and we've not um, bottomed this out and does it reduce accidents? It's something that safety differently, people that are evangelists of safety differently won't tell you. But as John said when he was on the podcast, it was never meant to be a this or that approach that Absolutely. we got at the Church of Safety differently. It was supposed to be something new in addition to some of the traditional methods while getting away from some of the traditional methods that don't work. That was all, you know. Yeah. It's now become, because of the global success of it, and the, it's become a global phenomenon that you're either for safety differently mm. or not for safety differently. I think some people have read the books and went, oh, I, I think I'm for safety differently, so let's rip up the rule book and start everything again. That's not what it was about. It was about having a more positive approach, recognising that people offer the solution, not the problem, is the kind of key principles of it. So I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing. And I'll be honest, when I first read Sidney Decker's book, mm. I read it cover to cover on holiday and I put it down and I went, don't believe in that. Mm. And I read it again and I went, nah, I can see where he's coming from. And then it wasn't until I started researching and watching some of the videos of guys like Todd Conklin and seeing some of the stuff that John was doing as well, some of the presentations that he had done, I thought, yeah, do you know what? There is massive mileage in this. It's really interesting. I'm really enthused by it. And there's another guy that's really out there with a guy called Jay Allen that runs Safety FM over in America. Jay's really promoting the, the kind of human operational performance side of things, the hop side of things, which is factored in slightly to safety differently as well and really promoting it. So there's loads of people out there doing loads of good work, all trying to achieve the same goal. Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing, you said it yourself, safety differently um, is, is not, just like anything else, it's not a silver bullet. It's part of the whole process. I guess there is a danger if you, if you, if you label anything, that, then uh, you've got that danger that, that people will think you're either for or against. Mm -hmm. uh, but but, but um, and, and some people say, well, it's not safety differently, it's safety just the same. Well, it depends how you've been delivering safety in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, I, and yeah, it is just part of the picture. And I think this is one of the dangers that, that um, we've had in safety with behavioral safety in, 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 the, in the past. 
uh, whilst behavioral safety uh, in the past has had an impact, there's no doubt about it, um, it, it is a little bit of a single tool. Uh, and and no, it's kind of like no matter what the problem is, this is the solution. Uh, and um, and you really, one of my passions around behavior change, and it's really obvious stuff that uh, I talk about behavior change and my description of behavior change, it's about understanding the influences on behavior and removing the barriers to change. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in some respects, a lot of behavioral based safety uh, doesn't try and understand the problem before solving it. Uh, because it says, here's a set of tools that you do and you deliver. Uh, and, and, and there's no doubt it can have some impact, but uh, you've, you've really got to uh, recognize that. Um, I think I said it to you before, before we uh, started recording uh, that, uh, one of my sayings is that be, you know that uh, behaviors are uh, complex, not complicated, and behaviors are influenced by so many different things. So that's the complex side of it. But the solutions are usually uh, are usually very easy. Uh, and um, as you said yourself before before the podcast, that uh, actually the, the the most simple solutions are the best. Yeah. Uh, so so don't don't look for complex solutions because the most simple solutions will work by the, the best. Well, they're most likely to be followed by the people on the ground. If you make it easy for someone to do something, they'll do it. You know, it goes back to the old image of the, the crossing point on a, a canal towpath and you see the people have walked over the grass rather than walking over the concrete path because it was easier to take the shortcut around about the bollard rather than go through the kind of zigzag that mm. the vehicle's getting onto the canal towpath, you know. It's uh, making it simple, making it straightforward, and that will then factor into the user experience. Well, it's interesting, you know, I was, because um, I, I spend a lot of time doing behavioral analysis uh, on, on particular issues. And uh, I was looking with a, with a site on the other day, on something really simple, uh, where they were talking about the fact that damaged equipment wasn't being quarantined. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I asked them is, have you got a quarantine area? And they didn't have. You know, so how do we expect anybody to quarantine anything? <laughs> you haven't even got a quarantine area. And, and this is where some of the solutions are really, really simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I'm going to touch on this one a little bit, Duncan, because I think this could be quite an interesting conversation. Mm. What do you think of the back of COVID-19? Do you think mental health is going to factor into how we influence behaviours on site? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thought around the mental health uh, side of COVID-19 because uh, well, I think we've all heard different stories around COVID-19 and I've certainly heard uh, a strong message that uh, the whole approach to COVID-19 has improved safety performance on sites. Uh, potentially that's true. It's a little bit anecdotal uh, and probably too early to tell. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but, but there's certainly some things we've done from... Uh, from a COVID-19 point of view, that can be lessons learned for the future in the way that we should approach um, improvements in health and safety in general. Uh, I, I mean, there's some great approaches in terms of the, the, the consistent message from, lead, from the leadership right down to the, to the frontline supervisors um, and, and the, the clear messages that we're giving uh, and, and the, the real engagement we've got with, with people. These are, the, these are standard things that we should be doing across all health and safety. Yeah. But, it's interesting with the, with the point around the, the mental health, um, because just like any risk, uh, people have different levels of risk perception, and there are some people who are very concerned about um, about the whole risk around COVID nineteen, mm -hmm. or quite often concerned about the the, the potential of um, 
uh, of the impact on the families, particularly if they've got vulnerable members of the family. But then there's some people that uh, just are not, uh, aren't concerned about it at all. And, and, no, and nobody's wrong in that. These are just different risk perceptions. But one of the challenges here, I think, around it, my, my personal thoughts around uh, two things, working from home. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this is an interesting thing because there's, uh, there's, a, lot of t- there's a lot of talk now about, uh, well, for people that can work from home, who normally work from the offices, perhaps this is the, the new normal. Uh, this, perhaps this is the way we should work. And whilst there probably uh, are some real benefits in, in some flexible working, um, I, think, I think we've got to be very careful about that because we are social, sociable animals uh, and our social interactions are absolutely essential to our mental health. And if we isolate ourselves too much for, for, from working from home, then uh, I, I th- there's going to be impacts uh, in a number of ways. I mean, some people will struggle to work from home anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some people who coming to work is, is a break from being at home uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and we, we do get so much from, from interacting with other people, uh, mm-hmm. even if we're just working in the offices. Uh, I, I mean, I, 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 prefer to work from the office rather than working from home. Uh, and the reason I say that, but I might not have any meetings with anybody that day, but I'll bump into so many people and have so yeah. many conversations. But there's another side to the mental health, which is potentially a little bit more controversial, which is around uh, the face coverings mm-hmm. side of things. And, and um, there's really strong arguments on both sides. Uh, and I'm not so sure anybody's got the real answer to whether face coverings are the right thing or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, I think part of the face coverings approach is to give people the confidence to go out and do what they need to do. Uh, yeah. But again, it reduces social interaction massively. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually feel quite depressed when I go into the supermarket and, and, and everybody, including myself, is wearing a face covering. You, you lose so much uh, of, that, of that interaction you can have with people. Um, so it, it is a concern, uh, and there's uh, there's more and more talk about um, face coverings coming. In. Thankfully, uh, most construction sites, if we just talk about construction, mm-hmm. uh, have taken uh, very sensible approaches towards uh, face coverings, and and definitely used it in the way that it should be, which is an absolute last resort. Yeah, uh, I know it was I know it was difficult early on where people didn't really know what the right answer was, mm-hmm. uh, and and the, the the CLC the Construction Leadership Council have got to be given some praise here to be honest with you, and I'll be honest with you before COVID nineteen I hadn't heard of the Construction Leadership Council, mm-hmm. uh, but they've done some great work in in, in giving them a consistent approach across construction, in terms of how we approach the whole COVID nineteen thing, and they've had very sensible approaches to the whole face covering uh, approach. And even to this day in the guidance that they don't really recommend it because, in fact, I was having a conversation with, um, uh, in one of our board meetings recently, uh, where we're talking about the potential for face coverings in the office. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if we think about face coverings in the office and we think about it being a kind of like a PP last resort, then if we think we need face coverings, should we actually be coming back? You know, and that's worth thinking about. But Good point. Yeah, um, and it's a challenge. But yes, the whole mental health thing. I think I've actually, uh, a term that I've used, uh, and it's a worry in my respect, that mental health might be the next pandemic mm-hmm. in terms of the effects that the whole COVID-19 thing will have on people in terms of the, the, the social isolation, in terms of the worry uh, and, and the fears that are around it, um, in terms of the different ways of working, in terms of the lack of socialization. 
uh, in terms of worrying whether you've got a job, so the people that have been on furlough for such a long time, uh, and a lot of people will and are losing the jobs as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we're, we're only just started to feel the impact of that. Uh, so I do worry that, that, uh, that mental health uh, issues uh, or poor mental health is, is potentially the next pandemic. And, and the worry is uh, we're, we're really not set up as, as a country to, uh, to have the facilities uh, to, to, um, to deal with that. Now, in construction we, and, and, in, and in other organisations, in other uh, industries, we have mental health champions. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's a massive positive. Uh, again, uh, the, the, it, some, they do come under some criticism, but I think if you've got any, any culture where you're getting people to talk to each other, that's got to be a positive thing. So yeah. I think the mental health champions have got a big part to play in this, but we've got to be careful with that because uh, mental health champions, um, it can be seen as a tick in the box if we're not careful. We've got our mental health champions, therefore we've done our mental health strategy. And I think there's a long way to go from, from, a, from a health and safety and well-being point of view in dealing with the, the mental health strategies. Uh, it's from, a, from a health and safety professional's point of view, uh, I think it's an area where we need to uh, gain a, a lot better knowledge and a lot better skills ourselves in order to be able to um, advise our businesses better in order to put the right strategies in place. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've got the right strategies in place uh, at the moment with regards to mental health. Uh, there's so much more we can be doing. Uh, and it's not, for me, about um, topic of the month. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think there is a lot of that round at the moment. Uh, and that is kind of like fed by things like World Mental Health Day and things like that. And, and I can see them as a good uh, kind of like uh, jumping board to onto new things. But quite often it's, oh, well, we did World Mental Health Day, so, so, we, so we've done our bit. Uh, and, and I think we've got to be very careful in, in mental health as, as, in, as well as health and safety in talking about topic of the month. Because mm -hmm. my challenge when people talk about that sort of thing is, well, really, you shouldn't be doing a topic of the month. What you should be doing is if you've got an issue, you, you, you continue with that issue until, you've, until, it, until the solution is embedded in the organization. Yeah. Uh, or else, but, but frankly, people won't believe you anyway. Well, we've done that. We're moving on now. We haven't sorted it, but we're moving on. Uh, and really what we need to do in, in mental health, for me, is be thinking about a few key things that will make a real difference and really focusing on those. Uh, and I think it's, uh, like I said, the health, health and safety professionals uh, really need to be thinking about that. Because we've all talked in the past, I think, about uh, with health and safety that it's, it's a big S and a small H. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's interesting. It, the word health comes first in our titles. But interesting, if we called ourselves safety and health professionals, Mm -hmm. I think in that, that in itself would actually uh, would bring the health to, to more prominence in our roles, I think. Yeah. yeah. So big changes then, change your team name, everybody to be a she professional, safety, yeah, health, not? environment. Yeah. yeah, safety, health and environment and quality and sustainability and everything else that goes along, <laughs> along with it as well, yes. <laughs> See, the other thing that you mentioned there was talking about kind of having a, having a look ahead as to what your your key themes are going to be and then starting to manage them. That's always been something I was taught when I was learning about risk management, that you want to try and be impactful at the ascent of the risk curve rather than the descent to try and flatten the curve out a little bit. 
Um, with your schemes, so risk forecasting, massively, massively important for any organisation to understand in 6, 12, 24 months' time what your business is going to look like, what your key business risks are going to be. Absolutely. Starting to get your programmes in place to try and tackle that risk while it's on the rise. Because if you start to get it, when it goes over the other side of the curve and it's decreasing anyway, you might have spent all of that time putting a programme or a plan into place to get it into place and the risk is already starting to narrow out anyway absolutely yeah. I, I, I mean that that goes back to to in a sense understanding the business mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah as part of a, a health and safety strategy you absolutely need to understand the business strategy mm-hmm. uh, because the business strategy will will and or may or will bring new risks into the business and i'll give you an example in the in the business that i'm in um we we planned and brought into our organization uh, horizontal directional drilling um, part of the business which was completely new uh, and not only that uh, a lot of our organization was uh, was Dutch from that point of view mm-hmm. so it was bringing in a, a whole new um, set of people um, who uh, potentially didn't were very very safety conscious but didn't have the kind of like competencies that we potentially expect in this country but equally the different risks that that, that, that sort of um, that, that sort of business brings into your business so yeah I, absolutely understanding the the, the the, the business strategy and understanding what risks that that'll bring in. Another risk which come into to, into a business is if you're looking to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've all seen and I've seen a number of times where there's rapid expansion in an organisation, and rapid expansion bring, means bringing in lots of new people, and and in itself that can be managed, but it takes a lot of managing. Um, it helps if you've got a strong, positive health and safety culture to start with. Uh, and a strong management system as well. I've seen that in the past that yeah. you get a lot of different people from a lot of different organisations into your business and they all bring the old safety management system. Yeah, with absolutely. Them. And you, oh, we've used this document. No, that's not the document we use around here. Oh, but that's what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah which in itself can bring great risk to the business. Um, I, I was in an organisation... Uh, a while back, which had done exactly that, brought a, brought a new business, uh, purchased a new business. And uh, even three years later, that old business was still using its old management system. And uh, and that is a huge risk to the business uh, because, as we all know, uh, I mean, of course, we're not always wanting to just look at accidents and incidents, but in the unfortunate time, if a serious incident happens and, and, uh, and uh, you get investigated on that. If, you, if you're not able to show that people are complying with your management system, you, you, you're in serious trouble to start with. Cool. But, but if, equally, you need consistency across your organisation. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're right. You're absolutely right. Looking forward uh, at the risks uh, that, that can come in the business uh, from business strategy, from, from the wider business strategy, are absolutely essential. But it's also looking at your standard health and safety risks and thinking, well, Instead of just focusing on the stuff that we always focus on, what what what, do you, what are our new risks coming up, or, or what do we really need to focus on getting better? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, a number of organisations have had in the past the ten golden rules, mm-hmm. uh, and in, and in, if you go into the rail industry, you'll talk about your life-saving rules, and I think there's a lot of merit in those. I really do, uh, but you've got to move on as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because. What your risks are today will not be your risk tomorrow, and it's another it's another term that I use, and I'm sure I stole it. Uh, I think I did, uh, which is we, we, what what gets you here won't get you there, you know. Um, uh, and this is another thing where organisations can can start off really well, and, and then flounder because they put a certain they do a certain uh, approach 
whether it be to reducing risk or improving behaviors or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it works for them. So they continue to do it and continue yeah. to do it. But they, they, they're then applying an approach which was to solve a particular problem, which is now solved. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's important to recognize that and to recognize when it's time to change and look at what you need to do next. And I've seen organizations 10 or 15 years later still doing the same thing because once upon a time it worked. Yeah. And now what they do, they're flogging people all the time saying, you must make this work. You know, and you must get more near miss recording in. You know, we haven't got enough in this month. And it's a really dangerous trap to get into. We need to all be assessing all the time when it's time to, to refresh and when it's time to renew what we're doing, when we've got a new set of risks or a new set of challenges that we need to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we touched a little bit on your career journey. Um, where we had left off there, you had progressed into a national head of safety role. Where mm. did you go from there, Duncan? I guess... Uh, once I got into a national uh, health and safety role, I then took on a national HSEQ role, which mm-hmm. quite often happens uh, to, to health and safety professionals. You adopt the E and the Q. Now, having an engineering background, that, that, felt, that, that came uh, fairly easy to me anyway, because uh, the, the quality particularly is really important from an engineering point of view. Uh, so I, 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 moved, I moved around a little bit for a while. I, I, uh, I went working... Um, as a, a director of safety in a utilities organization. Uh, I, I've worked as a head of safety on a one and a half billion pound project um, uh, for, for um, uh, another utilities, um, uh, uh, utility company. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've worked as head of health and safety for an infrastructure company as well. So um, I, I, I did do a little bit of moving around for a while because I actually spent 25 years with the same company. Mm-hmm. I, and what I found is uh, when I left that company, it took me a while to, to find my feet again and to settle down into something that felt that felt right, if I'm honest with you. Uh, and I learned a lot from each one of the organizations I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've now started settling in the company that I've been with the company I've been with now uh, for, for four and a half years and um, mm-hmm. really enjoying it. I actually uh, I actually said to the help the MD, it feels like I've come home. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, so I, I head up health, safety, environment, quality, sustainability, and business continuity. It, like I say, it just comes with the, with, with the, uh, the territory of being a health and safety professional. People love to add things to your title. Um, but uh, I, I love it because um, I, uh, the, the organization I'm involved in, is, like I say it's a marine and uh, civil engineering organization, is so diverse. There's five different businesses within, within that organization. Uh, and I've got a fantastic mm-hmm. team as well. Uh, so I've got a head of health and safety. I've got a head of quality. I've got a head of sustainability, uh, a team a team working for them across five different businesses doing very diverse different work from extra high voltage works to water treatment works to flood defense works to marine works. Uh, it, it, it's just so exciting. Uh, and um, I love the marine works particularly because being a civil engineer, you love to see large items of plant Mm-hmm. And and big barges with big cranes on and big pile, uh, big piles you put in in the ground. Where instead of put putting a a twelve meter pile in the ground, you put in a fifty five meter pile into into um into into the sea. Uh, it's it's big toys and uh, it's great to see. But it, I I love going seeing those jobs and just uh, seeing what we actually create and what we achieve. Because uh, uh, as well as being passionate about health and safety, I'm a passionate. Uh, I'm, I'm passionate about civil engineering, and I, I love to see I love to see great civil engineering jobs come to fruition. Um, so, so uh, yeah, that, that's 
that's my career right at this moment, head of HSEQS. Um, and I guess that's what it will continue to be. I, I do want to continue to, uh, my, my, I want to continue my passion for behavior change. Uh, I, I've spent a lot of time going around, uh, going around the, the, the UK and, and Europe, uh, sharing my thoughts on behavior change as much as I can, because I'm really passionate about being part of making a difference. Uh, and, and the important thing is to recognize that, uh, as we said before, with safety differently, nobody's got the whole answer, you know, but we've all got part of the answer. Uh, and I like to bring my thoughts on, on the part of the answer to that. Uh, and, it, and it really is around properly understanding why, why uh, certain behaviors uh, happen, about really genuinely engaging with the people that are doing the work uh, and taking a positive approach. I do have um, approaches that I take that I believe are innovative, let's go for that, to, uh, to, to the construction industry and probably to some extent industry in general, approaches mm -hmm. which have been used in, uh, in the health sector for, for years, but haven't come into health and safety that, mm -hmm. uh, that I'm bringing into, into construction safety, that I'm finding and making a huge difference. Uh, and, and again, there's nothing complicated. And I'm really keen to share that and, and, and share that at every opportunity. So my future, uh, what I, my future I see as being more and more uh, taking the opportunity to share my thoughts and my ideas on, uh, on, on behavior change and learn from other people's ideas at the same time. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. What's been your biggest challenge to date then, Duncan? Quite a long and illustrious career, a few different uh, areas of industry as well, from the civil engineering side of things, project management, right up through the ranks of being health and safety professional, right up to the top of an organisation. What's mm -hmm. been the one thing that stands out to you as the biggest challenge there? One thing is interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out a little bit and say uh, the biggest challenge is the biggest big challenge and the biggest opportunity are the same thing, which is people. <laughs> you know, because that's what it's all about. And uh, and generally, people have very strong and um, entrenched beliefs. Whether those beliefs are ones which give us positive behaviors or, or, or not so good behaviors. Uh, the majority of us have very entrenched beliefs uh, and uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's got um, a term in psychology called uh, it's cognitive bias and we've all got it uh, and I've got it in spades or you know we all believe we're right uh, and cognitive bias is all about um, it, it's, it's looking for every opportunity and every, and every piece of information that reinforces what you believe and dismissing everything which actually contra contradicts what you believe mm -hmm. uh, and we all do it all the time. Um, now, in terms of challenges from that point of view, uh, you do get some really difficult characters. Uh, and, uh, but I find that a really positive challenge. And uh, I've I found on a number of occasions that dealing with what you might consider to be the most difficult characters actually gives you the best results and, and your best advocates. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, remember, um, I remember one particular conversation I had once where I was trialing out many many years ago actually I was trialing out a, um, a, a a zonal system electronic zonal system that you'll see a lot of these days advertised you know we you either have a hard at or something and it, and it tells you how close you are to plant and this was probably about 15 years ago where we were trying this this out on a particular site and, um, and I went to this site and I said I want to try this out um, can, can we uh, can we go and speak to a few people? And, and, uh, and they said, yeah, yeah. And they said, said, well, they said, don't speak to him. 
don't speak to him. I said, why not? He said, he's awkward as anything. You'll never get anything out of him. Everything's always a negative. And I thought, okay, that's a challenge. So I went straight over to him and I, and I started talking to him. I said, listen, we've got this system we want to try out. And, and it's this um, electronic uh, zonal system. He said, tried it. It's crappy. It doesn't work. And I thought, well, he hasn't tried it because this is the first time it's ever been invented, but I won't go down that route. I said, well, that's really interesting. I said, you know, because you've tried it before and you've seen what doesn't work, you, you, I'd really value your opinion on, uh, on this system. So would you mind being one of the people that tries it out for us? Uh, and, you know, you're obviously honest in what you say. I'd really value your honest opinion in this. And he went, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't mind doing that at all. And he was, you know, and he became a massive advocate. And I've seen that so many times. It's so easy to dismiss people as being awkward, but it's just people with strong mindsets. And, and of course, we're all brought up by our own experiences. And some of us have come up with different experiences. Well, we've all come up with different experiences. And if those different experiences have got taken to a place which might give you what is perceived to be a negative approach to health and safety, um, that doesn't mean that you don't want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, and and strong-willed people like that can be can absolutely be your best advocates. In fact, to be honest with you, because uh, there are in construction uh, an awful lot of really strong-willed people. And uh, if you want to change the mindset of those people, then you're not going to do it. But the other strong-willed people who they, who they respect are. Mm -hmm. So if you can work with one person and, change, and help to change their mindset, then they've got a much better opportunity of, have, of being influential with other people similar to themselves than I'll ever be able to be. So from a challenge point of view, it, 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 it is, it, it's an opportunity. The challenge is dealing with those strong mindsets, but, but uh, utilizing people because, and it's going back to that respect, respecting everybody, knowing that everybody Actually, there's nobody out there wants to do things unsafely. I'm, 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 I'm certain of that. Uh, and it's channeling, channeling that and, and taking that passion that they've got and turning it into something that can really work for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that probably brings me on. We've had quite a lot of good advice in this podcast, and I think some of the viewers and listeners will get a lot from it, Duncan. What advice would you give to someone starting out in health and safety today if they've got an interest and a passion there and they want to get involved in the industry? Well, I'd, I'd say the first thing is exactly what you just said. Have a passion for it. Uh, because you, you have to have a passion for, to, to, to make this work. Uh, because like I say, there are challenging times. And also, if you don't have a passion for it, people will see through you very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing is have a passion for it and follow your passion. If you're passionate something else, go and do something else. Uh, but then I would say, uh, and it, it feeds into something uh, I've already said, uh, listen to people. On the, you know, you're going to be dealing people with 20, 30 years experience who have been doing the job for 20, 30 years. Now, I must remember, I, I'll remember back to a conversation I had once, and, and, and it was the wrong conversation, uh, where um, I was quite young into the industry, and uh, certainly from a health safety point of view anyway, um, I, I uh, I'd been in operational side for about 15 years, but uh, I went. I, I was talking to somebody, and uh, he said, "Listen, lad," he said, "I've been doing this for 15." Uh, he said, "I've been doing this for all my life for 30 years." I said, "Well, you've been doing it wrong for 30 years, and haven't you?" And that probably wasn't going to win me any advocates from that point of view. Uh, so, I, I, the, the the strongest advice I think I can give you is listen to people rather than telling people. 
you know you're going to gain so much understanding not only on on uh, on understanding how to do the job but also in drawing out of people the best solutions you know i remember talking to i remember going into the gas and uh, gas and water industry for the first time and i was dealing with uh, high pressure gas mains and i knew nothing about them and i and i went to talk to this guy who was uh, doing a live tapping into a, to a high pressure gas main and I, and I and i said i know nothing about this can you talk me through what you're doing and uh, and he taught me through every and he was really proud to talk me through it as well but it was really interesting because he then said and he said he's come here and i'll show you all the tools and stuff as well and, and and he said and we have this box of stuff here and everything in here is calibrated and and, and it has a date on the front saying when it all has to be calibrated and i said and i looked at it so Oh, it's interesting now. He said, yeah. He said, I've just realized it's out of date. So, so he drew out himself, uh, you know, through having that conversation, not only did I understand so much, so much more about the job, but I, somebody passionate wanting to tell me about it, actually identify something for himself that I needed improving. So, uh, yeah, be passionate. Do much more asking than telling. Mm -hmm. they're, they're probably the, the, the two key things, I would say. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Duncan. So that probably brings us to a bit of your conclusion. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. I think the viewers and listeners will get a lot from this one, as I said, some great advice. We've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else you wanted to come in with, just in the summing up? Uh, my summing would always be into the, and, and thank you as well, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, my three words around, around uh, how we deal with anything behavior change, safety, uh, is be positive, be inclusive, genuinely inclusive, and be future focused. Excellent. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you very much, Blair. Much appreciated. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide.